Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Hi, I'm Julian Ha, partner at Hydric and Struggles' Washington, D.C. office and leader of the Global Government and Policy and Association Practices. In today's podcast, I'm talking to Broderick Johnson. Broderick is Executive Vice President for Public Policy and Executive Vice President for Digital Equity at Comcast. He oversees the company's public policy team in Washington, D.C., and is responsible for leading its efforts in digital equity. Broderick has over three decades of experience as a lawyer, policy advisor, and strategist, and has served under two U.S. presidents as deputy assistant to the president for legislative affairs in the Clinton administration, and as assistant to the president and cabinet secretary for the Obama administration. Broderick, thank you so much for joining us today. Our first question is, what led you to Comcast and this role? Well, thank you very much, Julia. It's great to be here with you for this podcast. And I appreciate you noting my multiple roles at Comcast. They do intersect. I think with respect to overseeing the public policy group, I'm excited to be able to do that. I've had a broad interest in public policy matters throughout my career, even going back to when uh, I first started on Capitol Hill drafting legislation. I drafted a variety of different measures in lots of different public policy areas. That has continued throughout my career. And so while I have taken a very strong interest and have had both in-house and consultant positions and technology and telecommunications, I've done, again, a variety of public policy issues as well. But the opportunity to come to Comcast at this point in my career to oversee the broad public policy concerns of the company, whether it be from tax policy to broadband policy to closing the digital divide, many other things. That compilation of things is what brought me to be excited about the position at Comcast to lead the public policy group. That's one hat. The other hat is overseeing the digital equity work. Going back to when I worked for President Clinton in the late 90s and into 2000, this issue of the digital divide, being able to address that by providing digital equity is something that I've been concerned about. I know the country's been concerned about. Lawmakers on both sides have been concerned about, especially over the last several years. And so the opportunity to come in to Comcast to help oversee those efforts as well relates to concerns I've had from a moral perspective about being fair and providing opportunities to folks and also enhancing their educational opportunities, but also from an economic perspective. We are an increasingly digitized economy across the world. And so for the U.S. to compete, Effectively, we need to make sure that all of our citizens really have the opportunity to be able to have the resources to compete and to succeed in an increasingly digital world. So Comcast has really, over the last 10 years and then looking forward, committed a great deal of resources to efforts to close the digital divide. So I was so excited about being able to do that as well. And the two roles intersect. So it's not like one day I'm over here doing a set of things related to public policy, and then the next day I'm doing digital equity, the two never really get conjoined. They're actually very, very important in the way they intersect. Great, Broderick. If we could just maybe double click on that piece a little bit, can you share a little bit more about Comcast's commitment to digital equity and how you define that and and what's planned for the future to continue driving this piece? Yeah. So let me start with 
my view of what digital equity is all about. And it's really, Julian, this simple. Digital equity is making sure that all people have access to the digital resources necessary to help them connect to the country, to the world, so they can succeed in an ever-increasing digital world where you need digital access and digital skills in order to be successful. So that's what I would broadly define as digital equity. It's also important that people have the awareness to know what kind of resources are there. Not enough for the resources to be there. People aren't aware that those resources are available to them, that they're affordable to them. So that's a, a big part of digital equity as well. Comcast commitment really goes back over the last decade. For example, in the tremendous financial resources and community partnerships with schools and with individuals around the Internet Essentials program, which has been designed to make sure that millions of people have access to broadband, to the internet. And so Comcast has, over that decade, expanded on the internet essentials work to do a number of other things as well. So for example, during the past decade, Comcast has provided over 150,000 free or affordable subsidized computers to people across the country. The company has also established a lift salt program and made a commitment that by the end of this year, it would establish a thousand lift zones in communities across the country. What a lift zone is, is essentially it's a maybe a community center or a rec center, someplace where people can go and have access to the internet. We know that there are many, many, many communities, many households where people don't have access to the internet, but they could go to a community center and be able to have that access as well. And then finally, Comcast. A year ago, established something called the RISE program, which is really focused on trying to make sure that small and minority-owned businesses and women-owned businesses have the opportunity to begin to be able to connect in a digital world to make their businesses more successful and more connected. So those are examples of what Comcast has done over the past years in celebrating this past decade of enormous commitment and resources. And now as we look to the future, we've actually started a new initiative called Project Up which I could describe as well, but really speaks to connecting even 50 million more people to broadband, to the internet, and a number of other initiatives as well. That's great, Broderick. Thank you. I mean, maybe building a little bit on that, I want to turn to a certainly a related area. I know it's very important to you and, and personal to you, frankly, diversity and inclusion. While serving in the Obama administration, you were also appointed as chairman of the White House's My Brother's Keeper Task Force which is an interagency initiative designed to identify and address the disparities that hamper the success of boys and young men of color and to improve the lives of all youth. Could you maybe share a little bit how you are driving diversity and inclusion, perhaps beyond just technology in your public policy and digital equity role? Yes. So I was very fortunate, as you mentioned, I had several hats in the White House as well. And Cabinet secretary was one, and to be chair of my brother's keeper task force was another. And I was proud to serve in that role, of course, as well. It was really driven by President Obama's commitment in the wake of the Trayvon Martin tragedy and the aftermath of that, and other murders of young African American men as well. And just looking at the overall disparities and circumstances that have continued to impede the success, especially of boys and young men of color, but women and young girls of color as well. So. We focused throughout the last three years of the Obama administration on that work and with real hard data and evidence-based approaches. And so that work continues. 
I continue to be the volunteer chair of the My Brother's Keeper Alliance, which is now part of the Obama Foundation. And we continue to focus on addressing and supporting efforts around the country that speak to trying to close disparities. And disparities, you're right, as you mentioned, certainly in the context of technology and digital divide gaps, but also those that speak to issues around interactions with police, for example, and therefore addressing some of the policing, reimagining efforts that are going on across the country, or speaking to suspension and expulsion rates in schools across the country, and trying to come up with ways to reduce violence in communities across the country. And those are all diversity and inclusion related issues as well, really about how to try to do everything we can possibly to make sure that people in this country, no matter where they grow up, the color of their skin, their gender, have the same opportunities as others. This has been a quest. This country's been on for so long, of course. And, you know, it takes no work of government, but also the private sector. And so Comcast, like many other corporations, has been engaged in supporting those kinds of efforts as well. Thanks, Roderick. I imagine there's a bit of a transition from government to corporate work environments and cultures. And you've done that before, having worked in top flight law firms, but Which leadership skills and experiences have been most helpful as you've made this most recent transition? Good judgment. Okay. I like to believe I've exercised good judgment throughout my career. Not looking over your shoulder for the next thing you want to do. Something wrong with being ambitious and having various roles. I've had incredible roles and responsibilities throughout my career, but always stay focused on the job that you're in when you're in it right? And being a great leader in that job when you're in it so that people can say, no matter what, that you have the right commitment to the organization, to the leaders that you work with, the corporation that you work for. So that kind of focus on being successful, being where you are and being successful where you are. Integrity, absolutely. I mean, it may seem trite, but we all know there are people who unfortunately think that succeeding, especially in a competitive place like Washington, D.C. means that they can sort of sell short their integrity from time to time, sort of a means to an end. I have found throughout my career that's incredibly important. And then finally, and this transcends the public and private sector roles that I've had in leading, and that is helping to identify young people, especially young people of color and women, to make sure that they get the mentorship and the opportunities succeed that are important to their long-term advancement. So in law firm, That can mean making sure that young lawyers have the opportunity to service clients as early in their careers as they possibly can to help generate business to be showcased before the kind of talent that they have. And also to help them navigate, especially in a place like Washington, D.C., the public-private sector balances. Does it make sense for me to leave the private sector and to go into public sector and when or vice versa? How long should you stay? So being a mentor has always been important to me to help people navigate those kinds of considerations as well, Julian. Well, Broderick, as we bring this conversation to a close, I wanted to ask one final question. From a leadership perspective, what are some of the most important ways you are building on the lessons of the past year, which included a global pandemic, social justice movements, and shifting work environments? Well, I'll tell you, it's been, of course, been quite a, almost two years, really, when you think back to this global pandemic, for example, and the impact of it all and how it's disrupted our lives and whether it's been in my own individual and family life, but also as a leader, realizing that there are unforeseen events, really unforeseen events 
that can disrupt what we have taken for granted as normal, whether it's as individuals, whether it's families, whether in leadership, whether in our communities, and whether in our workplaces, and how quickly that we adapt to incredibly changing, unforeseen circumstances. So we've all learned the importance of being able to do Zoom calls or Teams calls or whatever else, and to do those effectively, I'd say probably at times more efficiently than we would sit down and get together because the 30-minute meeting has become quite a stable of the way people communicate, and it's actually served people well. But at the same time, we've also missed interaction with other people. And as a leader, being able to try to figure out, well, how can we get back to that as quickly as possible? Also realizing, though, that people have no fears when it comes to confronting things that are so unforeseen as a global pandemic. And what does that mean in terms of how willing they are to come back to workplaces, for instance, or to be able to put their fears aside and make sure that they are well protected physically, financially, and otherwise. So I think that's one thing, certainly over the past almost two years as a leader is in understanding how disruptive things can be and how we need to quickly adapt and be able to help other people feel more comfortable that things are going to be okay if we certainly pay attention to things like science, for example. That's one thing. Social justice movement of past several years has been such a reminder that we can't push aside racial, ethnic, gender differences, other flashpoints that still very much exist in this society, in this world. They don't just go away. They don't just go away on their own. We have to continue to work at those issues. Again, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in our communities, our neighborhoods, our interaction with our neighbors. And to be more fair and more tolerant takes work. And that if we don't do the work, then the situations will come back again and we'll have to deal with them and maybe have to deal with them in more and more tense and difficult situations. So we have to be in constant motion in addressing the things that are real challenges in this society and that can often divide us, but should really be kind of at the core of our strength as a country, as a society, and also even in our corporations and in government. Well, thank you so much, Broderick, for joining us. And thank you to our listeners. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.